In the big rock candy mountains There's a land that's fair and bright Where the handouts grow on bushes And you sleep out every night Where the boxcars all are empty And the sun shines every day On the birds and the bees and the cigarette trees The lemonade springs where the bluebird sings In the big rock candy mountains Hello, this is Vince Savage on Grassroots Television, bringing you a little series here called Homeless in Aspen. Um, a lot of people ask the question, are there really homeless people in Aspen? And I'm always surprised that they don't know that, but one of the reasons that people may not see that many people flying a sign on the corner or people sitting in doorways or trying to sneak into a, a warm stairwell or something is that we have a homeless shelter program here and it's been going since uh, 2009. The origins of this program were uh, a homeless coalition that was in place for several years back in what we're calling the good old days. Uh, people like Helen Clandred, who most people know of, former mayor and original uh, director of the counseling center here in Aspen and a woman named Chris Marsh, who was head of the Aspen Valley Medical Foundation, had a lot to do with starting our homeless shelter, which the day center exists over in the Health and Human Services building. For 10 fabulous years, we've had the benefit of St. Mary Church, Father O'Brien, and now currently Father Hilton, opening up their doors in the evening for four full months of the coldest nights uh, in the winter. So, um, it has been in existence a long time. We've had quite a few people be able to benefit from our homeless shelter services. Our mission is primarily, number one, is to keep anybody from succumbing to the elements in the coldest months of the year. No, we don't have an overnight shelter all year round by design. Uh, our second mission is that nobody should go hungry in Pitkin County. So even if you're not homeless and you're hungry, even if you just got housing from being homeless, uh, you're welcome to come in to our uh, 6 p.m. evening meal program 365 days a year at the Health and Human Services building. Now, our third set or our third tier of missions are to go beyond that and try to help people that are having a lot of difficulty affording or finding home, uh, finding housing, to uh, get a leg up, get a help from us. So we have a place where people can do laundry, take showers. Uh, we have a place over there with a computer for those that don't have access to that through the library or somewhere else. And we have a private landline phone line for people who may not have their own cell phone to use as a job hunting device. That phone line is only answered hello, like you are calling somebody in a roommate situation. So um, we've had many different donors over the years, but our current major donors um, are Douglas Elliman Real Estate and the Little Nell Hotel. Now, that doesn't exclude major donors like Aspen Valley Hospital, several of the churches, the Christ Episcopal Church, Snowmass Chapel, and we get about 10% of our annual budget from the Healthy Community Fund, as well as the thrift store, uh, and many others like the Rotary and the Elks. So we always want to make sure to thank those people. But we have an unwritten 
agreement with most of our private donors, and that is that we are taking care of local people who are homeless. We have always promised that if people donate to our cause, we are not trying to build uh, Shangri-La for homeless people who would come from all over the place to be here in Aspen and snowboard, smoke marijuana, and chase women, which we've had a few people come to us saying that was why they were here. Well, we really don't welcome that. So uh, another factor is that a lot of our homeless population here, I'd say 80% of our homeless population in Aspen work for a living. The problem is that you can't work mountain temps or uh, temporary jobs or seasonal jobs and still meet the requirement for workforce housing through APSHA, uh, which is required all year round. So that kind of much catches you guys up. But rather than just listening to me talk, I brought an uh, old friend of mine, James Hoji, who I think has agreed he doesn't mind being introduced as a real live homeless guy in Aspen. So I'm um, welcoming James. Thanks for taking time out of your work day to come in here early. And uh, you're a real live homeless guy. So I thought I would start by just asking you, you know, how long have you been in Aspen and what is your story? Well, I moved here in 82. 1982? 1982 and uh, came to help my brother out. Actually, I was uh, established on the front range and uh, he was having some difficulties. I came out here to give him a hand and uh, actually liked the area. And you uh, never left? Never left. How many people have that story? Well, I guess I, I guess, I, I guess everybody, right? Yeah, right. <laughs> you know, I thought, hey, this is pretty cool, you know, so. And uh, I've been uh, I've been with you guys since uh, 2011. I believe I came in the fall, mm -hmm. and uh, I uh, I got a, a job that I had uh, back with the Snowmass Housing Department, uh, removing snow. It was a bad winter that year, and uh, went back to went back to Denver. Uh, found out that my shoebox was turned upside down, and I thought, well, you know, got to go back to Aspen. It was a no-brainer. You know, came with a car. Um, now, you told me just a little while ago that you actually live in your car. Yes, I do. In the, in the three month, three seasons of the year where we don't have the well, well, overnight spring, shelter. spring, summer, and fall, uh, I do uh, dwell in my car, you know, um, I'm comfortable sometimes. Um, I stay pretty close relative in the area, okay, so I can be steady from my work. Yeah. On the weekends, I disappear up in the mountains, you know, camping, fishing. But during some of your tenure in Aspen, you did have housing, didn't you? Or have yes, you always no, no, no. I've, I've had housing. I've had uh, rentals. Uh, owned a couple of trailers with a girlfriend years ago. Um you know, the jobs were stronger. They yeah. were more well-paying than, than it is now. Um, was housing cheaper then? Housing was more, was more readily available, you know, where you could get a, a roommate situation once you were checked out. And um, you could get a place, you know, in Basalt, you know, affordable, mm -hmm. eight, 800 900 a month. You know, now everything is the the prices of the uh, rentals are so bent out of shape. Yeah, the uh, APSHA group, the Aspen Pitkin County Housing Authority, calls it affordable housing, 
I'm just wondering what your experience is with that. It's kind of designed for people with full-time year-round jobs, isn't it? Well, sure. For somebody that's making, you know, fifty to 60000 a year, sure. And uh, I, I remember you telling me about a recent frustration you had with almost getting into housing that's, now. That, that's correct, Vince. Tell I, us about I, that. I, I applied for the Section 8 uh, HUD housing, and... Uh, I sent a packet into this guy down in Carbondale, and he sent my packet to the Garfield County uh, uh, housing, authority, housing Authority, and um, I was on the list for almost two years. Two and years on the waiting two list. Two years on the waiting list, right? And then the gal, uh, I think her name was Renee Richardson, real, real pleasant gal. She called me up and said, okay, I'm going to send you the qualification packet. So I filled out everything to the best of my knowledge, and then she called me back a couple of days later and said, well, there's a couple of things you got missing here and blah, blah, blah. And she was kind of telling me, she was kind of giving me a preview of, uh, I think you went over the cap limit. And I said, well, you guys should have told me that two years ago. You mean? You know, for the cap. They, to, you made too much money. I made too to much qualify. money to qualify for it. And then I asked her over the phone, I said, Renee, how come you didn't tell me that two years ago when you received my application? I would have taken a couple of weeks off and not made so much. Yeah, I, I said I would have got a job washing dishes somewhere, you know, to, to, to play the part in order for me to get the housing. You know, and she was like, wow, you know, and she led me to believe that I could get a place as close as Carbondale. I hear that from a lot of people that, you know, when you're working temps, or you're working seasonal work. I know there's been times I've seen you building and doing remodels for people, and I think there have been times where you even decided to rake leaves or shovel snow just to make some dough. That's great. And that's pretty hard to predict. It's not like a salaried job where you know you're getting X number of dollars every week or every two weeks. Right. What I would do is change it up. I would be steady Eddie for the Snowmass Housing Department helping them remove their snow, and then... Uh, when springtime come, I'd go right back into construction. But I have heard from a lot of people that with all the difficulty of just finding jobs, making it work, and living as a person who doesn't have a home at present, we call it rough, sleeping rough. Oh, well, it's, it's, it can be difficult <clears throat> at times, right? It, but then to add to that, finding out that you didn't quite navigate the eye of the needle just so... That, that seems to me like that could be pretty frustrating. Right. Well, you know, you kind of don't have a full focus, okay, when you don't have a roof over your head. That's a good point, that people who have a place to go home to every night and organize their papers and fix something to eat exactly probably don't understand just how much stress there is involved in having to keep one eye on the weather, one eye on the open space and trails guys who may be trying to tell you you shouldn't be parked or camping where well, you are you know they, they hunted tim and i down for years and we put in those <laughs> super camps tell me about that fine, i want to know what a super camp is finally when they they busted us on the second one right we promised we weren't going to do it anymore because they were going next time you're going to jail next time you're getting third time's the charm right yeah yeah well i've noticed too when we get new people around that are newly homeless and they're trying to figure out where to stay and they'll ask us where to camp i say we don't have a list of illegal places to camp. You know, if there were a list like that, you know, the authorities would immediately know that that list existed. Well, you know, a lot of, a lot of the homeless people don't know that if you're going to camp within city limits, right, the fine is higher. 
from what I understand. Yeah. And then you get a spot ticket and an appearance for court. I guess they call it sleeping where prohibited. Sleeping where prohibited. Right. Yeah. But if you're on the outskirts of uh, town, then you're in the sheriff's department uh, uh, jurisdiction. And then, uh, you know, it can be high fines also if you're poaching somebody else's property. So what about... Permission on private property somewhere? Well, yeah, permission on private property flies, but hard you, to know, get. you know, hard to get, hard to find someone to do that because right away they think, oh, they're going to trash the place. You know, they're going to start a forest fire. You know, that first time that we got busted up there at the camp across from Henry Stein Park, the newspaper guy wanted to take a picture of our propane stove. We had a couple of portable heaters. Mm-hmm. We had uh, battery-operated lights. Um, you name it, we had it, okay, to, to so survive. So pretty comfortable and living with some well, dignity, huh? Well, yeah, some, <clears throat> you know, some. And, and we really didn't trash the place. You know, Timmy and I, our rule was pack it in, pack it out, yeah. right? And uh, on that first camp, they had us under investigation for two and a half months because we were wondering where the influx of extra garbage was showing up in the containers down at Stein Park and out on uh, the Rio Grande Trail, you know, going the backside of Clark's Market Way. Yeah. And um, I think if we would have been a little bit more smarter about how we were doing our trash right, they probably would have never found us on the first one. Well, that's good indication of how to make it work if you're going to be camping well, well, illegal well, or keep yeah, it well, neat, keep yeah, it if you're, out of sight. If you're going to camp illegal someplace, you should uh, say to yourself, you know, hard rules, right? Don't camp by yourself, right? Have a campmate. Why is that? Well, anything can happen. Yeah. A tree can fall over on you. A bear can come and, you know. Got to have somebody well, to Whatever, whatever. Uh, yeah. yeah. And an elk could run through there and, Step you know, on you. Go through the whole tent or however. Yeah. We never really messed around with tents, so we we put some structure in our life. We had two by two skeletons with plastic, uh, pl plastic over the top, camouflage tarps. Uh, the tarps we couldn't buy camouflage. We'd get our own spray paint, camo everything in. Just for clarity, we should make our viewers realize you're not the guy named James Hoji who made all these headlines oh, and the, lived oh, up on oh, the Ajax. Oh, oh the somewhere. guy that built the shack up yeah. on Yeah. That's not you. Yeah, I'd like to clear <laughs> that out because at, at the time, right, even there was a couple of police officers in the area that kind of like bought into that. Yeah, right? they came to us saying, do you yeah, know and, James uh, Hoji? And we went, and yeah, but I don't think it meant. I was, I was applying for a job with the little Nell at the time, and uh, the gal that was interviewing me over there to work for the residence, okay, she believed all the way that I could have been that guy. So to say the least, right, I lost out on the good job. You don't need a bad rap on top of being homeless and struggling. <laughs> right, right, right. I was going, no, I'm exactly. not the guy. I was looking at her going, I'm not the guy. <laughs> well, you know, what about BLM land? Is that, I think you're supposed to be able to camp on that BLM land, or is it just well, a well, well, BLM is different from Forest Service, Doc. Um, if you're on Forest Service, right, you have to move every 14 days, right? And if, yeah. you're, and if you're on BLM, you could be in, a, in violation of poaching their property. Mm. Uh, Fairly complex you know, out know, there, it's, isn't it? It's, it's kind of touchy. Even if you have a map and you think you know where you're at. Yeah, it's kind of touchy. Um, we, as a homeless shelter, and the staff and I who run this place, who try to be, we try to lead with compassion. You know, we're, we're, we're not 
our first priority isn't beating people up with rules, but we do have some moral dilemmas. And you've mentioned this to me before, that there's the normal people that are sitting around the day center or trying to come in and bed down at the uh, St. Mary Church evening overnight shelter. And then there's the people that are sort of behavior problems. And I, you've, had, you've been pretty articulate sometimes about saying, you know, you know, life would be pretty simple if everybody just acted normal and cooperative, right? Right. But what's your experience been with that? Is like, or what would you recommend? I mean, well, I've broken the rules a couple times myself. Okay, you know that. Okay, yeah. yeah, I'm not perfect, but it's just you know, it's like like we were talking about it. But one of the uh, homeless coalition meetings that time was these people that have mental illness and you know they can't focus, whatever like that is like. They should be like sequestered from being around the the, the norm, the regular population, the, the, the yeah. norm, you know, because they're they're kind of driving us a little nuts. Well, that's one reason that we've been talking for over two years now about trying to get a dedicated space, you know, not some church basement where you have to live like with teacups, you know, balanced on your knees, sitting in a bathtub. It's the way we describe it, right. where you're trying to get out by a certain time and you have to be careful about all kinds of things where the Host people are have a right, of course, to require certain things, but it makes it the whole problem tough. But we think if we had some way of finding a dedicated space where the day center could operate and then the overnight could operate, all the offices in the same place, a true commercial kitchen where we could feed everybody without looking over our shoulder as to who's complaining that we're cooking too many meals, whatever. Um, that's just another one of our um, moral dilemmas, you know. And with something like that, we could have a room where people could come in late without disrupting everybody else who's sleeping. You've probably been through that. Oh, sure, where sure. Where the police want us to take a person who's drunk or disorderly after the bars close at 2, and everybody else has been sleeping four hours. And then they bring them in, and they're talking loud, and, and we're trying to get somebody bedded down when it's all one big room. And uh, that's a real dilemma. You know, how do we protect the fact that you're there to stay warm and sleep and be safe and then try to help the police uh, find a place to drop people who are out in the street at that hour of the night causing trouble. Um, so we've talked about the dilemma of us giving out camping equipment and asking people to no donate that for well, you guys. Well, you know, it's, it's a double-edged sword yeah. when you come to that, Doc, because, uh, you know, I think that if open space and trails would be into some kind of agreement, right, to, to let us uh, do a test camp, I think it would be a lot. You mean a designated space? A, designa where people de could camp a designated in the spot, right? Warm and, months. And, um, you know, that way, you know, if, if one of the guys, you know, turned into a misfit or whatever, the police could know right where to go, you know, to investigate whatever problem happened. You know, and you, you know how stuff happens yeah. here with the homeless. Yeah. And it's like, hmm, you know, hmm, you know, they're like. Well, there and, are and, places and, that and, do and, that. And, and, you know, and they wouldn't be freaking out so much. You there know? are places that do that. Uh, Las Cruces, New Mexico is one that I'm familiar with where they have a designated area in a kind of light industrial area with fencing for safety. And the homeless population runs it themselves. And they self-police. If somebody comes in roaring drunk, they just, you know, they say, no, you're breaking the rules. Or if they're dealing some drugs or doing some other kind of crime, they're not welcome there. Then they, they learn pretty quickly that their own peers are controlling it. 
so it doesn't become an anti-authoritarian thing, you know. Yeah. Um, we've got a concept we call the continuum of care and are the stream of all the different services that would help people that are homeless. And on the one end is what I call the free-for-all. No rules, no services, just everybody's doing what they can get away with. And then you institute something like we did here over 10 years ago called an emergency homeless shelter, meaning a place for people to go to not freeze, to not go hungry, and live by a few rules, you know, some reasonable rules, get along. Uh, and then the trouble we've had is that we don't have any place to graduate people to after 60, 90 days of trying to get their feet on the ground, finding some work, because what's missing in our continuum of care is some truly low-cost housing. And no offense to APSHA, they do a fabulous job helping the workforce be able to afford to live here without driving from parachute each way every day. But it's not cheap enough and accessible enough to people who are just starting out or working only seasonally. You know, a lot of jobs in the winter and in the summer, but how do you pay the rent and cover all your expenses for a couple months in the spring and a couple months in the fall, right? You're, you're, you're living paycheck to paycheck at that point. And I think if you look at our workforce and the people that are just barely hanging in there with workforce hang, uh, housing, I think I pick up a lot, of, a lot of compassion from those folks for people who are actually without a place to live Without a, without a roof over their head or sleeping rough because a lot of them realize they're only a couple paychecks away or a marital dispute away or something else away from being on our rolls, you see. So it's a lot more complicated than most of the people in the public think, which is why we're doing this little series of presentations on homeless and Aspen yeah. in hopes that by hearing your story and hearing what other people have to say, thinking about bringing in some open space and trails guys for the next show and just hear it from their point of view. You know, What is the pressure? Are, are second homeowners and tourists so afraid of having an encounter with Bigfoot that they don't want anybody out there camping near the trails? All right. You, 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 have, to, <laughs> you have to remember, Doc, there's a certain amount of stigma that goes with the H word, ah. right? And... Uh, People just aren't sure how to approach that, you know. And there's a lot of people that understand it, you know, because maybe they know somebody or yeah. somebody in their it happened to someone in their family, you know. And, but on the other hand, it's like they, they even look at you weird, like going, "Wow." One of my favorite humorists and actors from the 1930s is a guy named Will Rogers, and one of the things he said: the problem is not so much what people don't know but what they think they know that just ain't so. And I think that fits the current situation on homelessness a lot too. You know, I hear people talking about, well, those axe murderers and child molesters and, and hardcore criminals, you know, and they're talking about people that at nine o'clock at night are too tired to even lift an ax, let alone hit anybody with it. So uh, I'm not saying there aren't some people that find their way to Aspen with some criminal history and some bad behavior. But we try to vet those people very clearly so that we're not, uh, we're not wanting to be a place that harbors a bunch of social problem people. We're just harboring people that are clearly stressed and trying to get a leg up. Yeah. 
so I guess we're near the end of our time, and what I wanted to say was that um, a couple of dates are coming up this summer. On July 27th and on August 17th, we're going to have our tent at the Saturday Market right across from the old Little Annie's where we serve free lemonade to people and sell these nifty T-shirts that are designed after a uh, old, uh, what do they call them, uh, generic label. And all it says on the T-shirt is homeless and Aspen. And then down in a different font, it says send money, which we thought was kind of edgy and funny. Um, and also, August 15th, we have a major fundraiser to help the homeless shelter services uh, in the form of the barbecue cook-off put on by the Little Nell and, again, Douglas Elliman, our chief sponsor for that, at the base of the, the gondola at Ajax Tavern. So those are things that I want people to remember. Also, they can find us on Facebook. I like to say like us or hate us. Do it on Facebook. And uh, also we have a website, which is aspensafetynet.org. So uh, you can go on there and you can make donations on that website. You can also buy those cool T-shirts if you don't buy them at the Saturday market. And one last thing is to take check out Katie O'Callaghan's Skier Scribbler article that was published in the Skier Scribbler on January 25th featuring you and your story. And um, it was later an insert in the Aspen Times, but I think you can find that online. Um, the Skier Scribbler, Katie O'Callaghan, I think what it was called was Best of Snow or something, an inside look at homelessness in Aspen. And there's a cool picture of you in your car. Yeah, that turned out pretty good. That's yeah. when I had my Santa Claus beard. Yeah, you look like Santa. <laughs> so thank you, James Hoji, for being here and thank helping you. us out. Th thank you for having me, Dr. And I really Vincent. want to help uh, thank, uh, I want to thank uh, the television station here, Grassroots, and uh, anybody who's found the time to listen to this, tell your friends, go on our website, like us on Facebook, and thank you very much. In the big rock candy mountains, there's a land that's fair and bright, where the handouts grow on bushes and you sleep out every night, where the boxcars all are empty and the sun shines every day. On the birds and the bees and the cigarette trees, the lemonade springs where the bluebird sings in the big rock candy mountains.